All right, everybody, good morning. Let's stand and worship God together. That your name, the mountains shake and crumble. That your name, the oceans roar and tumble. That your name, angels will bow. The earth will rejoice, your people cry out. Lord of all the earth, we shout your name, shout your name, filling up the skies with endless praise, endless praise, Yahweh, Yahweh. We love to shout your name, oh Lord. And your name, the morning breaks in glory. And your name, sings your story and your name angels will bow the earth will rejoice your people cry out Lord of all the earth we shout your name shout your name filling up the skies with endless praise endless praise Yahweh Yahweh we love to shout your name We will sing, we will sing. There is no one like our God. We will praise you, praise you. There's no one like our God. We will sing, we will sing. There is no one like our God. We will praise you, praise you. Jesus, you are God. We will sing. Lord, all the earth, we shout you. Bless the Lord. 
Street as well. Here, pick your favorite color. I've got a little ichthus there. You know what we used to call them when I was a kid? A Jesus fish. Right? This is what they used to draw in the dirt to say that they were a believer. Hold up your color. Did anybody pick blue? Yeah. How about green? Anybody pick a green? How about red? Anybody pick a red? Anybody pick a yellow? Yeah. Who picked an orange? One little orange. You know, that's the one that usually gets left out. You know, I teach third grade. And I pass out colors when we're doing a project, and orange usually gets left on the side. Poor orange gets left out a lot. Everybody has. Blue is their favorite color, 
or green or red, right? Or yellow. Or yellow. Not very many people pick orange. Remember the game that we played in Kid Street today? Yeah, musical chairs. What happens in musical chairs when the music stops? You freeze. What do you do? You sit down. Does everybody have a chair to sit on? No. Somebody gets left out every time, right? Do we feel left out sometimes? Every time you take a chair. So somebody gets left out the next time until there's only one person sitting on the chair and they're the winner, right? Yeah. You know, Jesus doesn't leave us out. We might get left out at school, right, or at home, or in the neighborhood, with our friends, maybe we'll feel left out sometimes, but Jesus never leaves us out. We are members of his family, and he never, ever stops loving us. In John 13, Verse 34, it says, So I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other, and your love for one another will prove to the world that you are mine. So, like Jesus loves us, people will know that we are in his family by the way we love each other. So we should try and not leave people out, right? We should try and be kind and forgive, right? And serve. So take this fish with you and remember that you are part of his family. He loves you no matter what. All right, let's pray and then let's worship the God that is our Father. Dear Lord, we thank you for bringing us into your family, for loving us and for never leaving us, never having us left out. Thank you for your forgiveness and your eternal life that we can have with you, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's continue to stand if you are able and sing and praise together.
Joy of 
pray with me. Lord Jesus, we are thankful for the privilege of gathering in your name for this church body and for this time of worship with you. We ask that you prepare our hearts for the message this morning, Lord, and we ask that you let us learn and become better servants of yours through the word. Now we ask for your blessings on the tithes and offerings that we bring. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, we thought we'd do a fun song this morning for, uh, I mean, they're all fun, but this one's kind of a, a, a toe-tapper. Hope you like it. It's revival and it's spreading like a wildfire in my heart. Sunday morning, hallelujah, and it's lasting all week long. It's the rhythm of a gospel song Once you choose it, you can lose it Oh, cause there ain't nothing, there ain't nothing gonna steal my joy I got an old church choir singing in my soul I got a sweet salvation and it's beautiful I got a heart overflowing Turn to mountains that I can't climb Oh, you with me, never leave me Oh, cause there ain't nothing, there ain't nothing gonna steal my joy I got no church choir singing in my soul I got a sweet salvation and it's beautiful I got a heart overflowing cause it's been restored Open your Bibles with me this morning, if you would. Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18 in your New Testament. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Today we're going to start a new series entitled, What Am I Doing Wrong? 
Sometimes we go through life, we go to church, we hear endless sermons, we write our checks and do all those things, and, and sometimes we may feel like we're not getting much out of it, or maybe God hasn't done his part, or something like that. So for the next few weeks, we're going to talk about things that we do in life as Christians that might hinder us in our pursuit of faith. And today, we're going to talk about religious people. Maybe we're too religious, and we're going to talk about what religion is and what faith is. They're not necessarily the same things, and sometimes people are so religious, they get in the way, and Jesus dealt with a lot of those people. Luke chapter 18, as always, we begin with prayer. Continue to pray for our country as we struggle with racial issues and policy issues, and it seems like there is nothing upon which we can agree. So pray that we can stand together anyway. Pray for those around the world still struggling with the pandemic. How many of you hate masks? There you go. How many of you are honest you hate them? How many of you get into stores and realize that you forgot yours out in the car? You got to go back. Yeah, me too. I got no answers there. It's just the way it is. But we will continue. God will bless us and heal us. And this will be nothing more than a bad memory someday. But anyway, we pray. We pray that God will heal those that are sick, that he will comfort those that have lost loved ones, that he will be with us and our political leaders and those who have power over us, that we might receive a good word, that they would be given wisdom. Pray for Afghanistan. No easy answers there. We could stay there forever and not get much done. We could live. We'd stay there forever. We could leave and not do much. I, I, no easy answers. Just pray for that nation that God can work there. I'll give you a few moments of prayer. I'll close and we'll look at this passage together. Would you join me please? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence today. We thank you, Father, for this life we have. We are blessed. We eat and sleep. We have everything. Thank you, Father, for blessing this nation and this people. We pray, Father, for this nation that we would continue to stand strong. Help us to stand together in spite of our differences Help us to realize, Father, that people who disagree with us are not the enemy. We pray for those who have power, that you would give them wisdom and discernment and discretion with how they use that power. We pray, Father, for our soldiers and first responders, for those who put their lives at risk for us, protect them, comfort their families. We pray this morning that you would help us as your people to be a witness to those around us. There are so many problems that have no easy answers. We know through Jesus that there is a solution. Help us to learn how to speak to that without arguing, 
Help us to be beacons of truth and life to those around us. Help us to resist the urge to attack those who would disagree with us. Help us to be people of peace, people who give grace, people who give forgiveness. Each day we struggle against sin. Help us. We ask for mercy and a cleansing for when we fail. We ask that you would help us to be merciful towards others. Thank you, Father, for loving us as you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why do people do what they do? You ever wonder that? I watch people and I wonder, what in the world are you thinking? Tammy and I went on vacation a long time ago. At the time, we were a pastor of a church in the sticks, literally, in the middle of a bean field. And it was the parsonage, which is a mixed blessing. Free rent, they say. Maybe not. We went on vacation, and we came back a day early, and we came back just in time to catch the chairman of deacons rummaging through our trash can. He was digging over. He was bent way over. He had a little big eye, and he was bent over, had his head in the trash, digging through, looking for who knows what. And I told him, what in the world would cause him to do that? So I went out and asked him what was done, and, and we caught him off guard because he didn't expect us until the next day. And why he was watching my house, I don't know. We were digging my trash, I didn't know. So I asked him, what in the world are you doing? He goes, well, uh, 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 uh. And he didn't have a good answer. And he shook my hands and said, glad to see you back, Pastor, and got in his car and drove away. Never was sure what he was looking for. My hunch is, because in that area, the worst thing you could do in life was to drink alcohol. He was looking for those beer cans. Now, there weren't any in my trash. I don't drink, never have. But, you know, in those days, that was a big deal. He left, never asked me about it, and I didn't really want to find out why he was rummaging around in my trash. But I still wonder, why would you do that? It's never occurred to me to dig through anybody else's trash. Unless it was at the side of a yard and it was one of those things where you could dig through people's trash and get stuff you wanted. You know, one of those things. But I wonder about that. And sometimes I wonder why Christians do the thing they do. Because sometimes it has nothing to do with faith. Now they would dress it in and cloak it in religious words and things like that. But you wonder, do they really think this honors the cause of Christ? Maybe people think differently. Maybe they're just off. Why do people that are Christian so oftentimes do things that are so unchristian? They're not all necessarily mean-spirited. Sometimes they're very religious people, go to church and all those kinds of things. My dad used to have this phrase, when someone went to church too much and talked too much about Jesus, he would say, well, they just gone to seed on religion referring to the way, you know, when your grass gets too tall, it goes to seed. And I think of all that often when I see someone that I think may be too religious. They've just gone to seed on religion. So today we're going to talk about that and talk about one of Jesus' encounters with someone that had gone too far with his religious faith. Follow along with me, if you would, in Luke 18, verses 9 through 14. You're familiar with this passage, Luke 18, beginning at verse 9. Jesus also told this parable to certain ones who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax gatherer. The Pharisee stood and was praying thus to himself, God, I thank thee that I am not like other people, swindlers, 
unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax gatherer. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax gatherer, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled, but he who humbles himself shall be exalted. Jesus obviously talking about a contrast between regular folk and those who have gotten so religious they've lost sight of true faith. On screen you can see this idea that an obsessive devotion to religion can lead us away from God. So a devotion to religion can lead us away from God. Now, a little bit of clarification here. Religion isn't necessarily the same as following Jesus. It sounds the same. It sometimes looks the same, but it's often not the same at all. Religion is what we do to work out our faith. So if you go to church and aim for attendance pins, remember those days when we used to go for attendance pins and we honored those people who had 20 and 30 and 40 years attendance pins? That's religion. We understood the goal of being in Bible study, but that's religion. Sometimes other manifestations of religion are the kinds of clothing you wear or the kind of music that you listen to or, you know, any number of things that are religious and they sound good and they're not necessarily bad in and of themselves, but they really don't have a whole lot to do with following Jesus. And every religious faith has this kind of thing going on. In our story, Jesus draws the comparison between two people who are praying a little bit of history. In Jesus' culture, the Pharisees were those people who were self-designated religious experts. Seriously. And they walked around literally with a clipboard or the equivalent and took track, kept track of who was doing what to whom and all those kinds of things. And they were all too eager to prove themselves righteous and to point out the flaws in other people's lives. So these were the people that you wanted to avoid if you were normal. Normal being regular person. Because if you were a Pharisee, by definition, you were better than other people. And you wore that moniker proudly. And they were good people. They walked their dog regularly. They picked up its poo. They, they were good neighbors. They mowed their yard. Now, they didn't mow the yard, no grass. But, you know, you get the idea. These were the good people. And in the community, it was recognized that they were the ones who reflected true faith. They were really good people. Sometimes they held office. They were not necessarily wealthy. They were from the working class many times, sometimes business owners, but not always. And like I said, they were just good people. They studied Scripture. They were known to memorize long, long passages of Scripture. It would not be uncommon for them to memorize the book of Genesis or more. And that was a common thing in that culture. And they would stand on the street corner and sometimes spend hours quoting Scripture. And they were perfect. They were admirable people. Everybody knew who the Pharisees were and avoided them. The tax gatherers were at the bottom of the ladder. You've heard the stories and they're all true. The tax gatherers were traitors. By definition, they were hated by Jewish people. Tax gatherers in any part of the Roman Empire were those people that worked for the government and collected taxes. 
And the way they made their money was there wasn't a salary. If you literally owed $100, the tax collector would assess you $150. And he would keep the extra for himself. He did so with Roman soldiers at his back. So he had the power of government and force of law behind him. So you paid what he said you paid. The Roman government was the evil oppressor. And they were an evil oppressor. And the Jewish people hated them. So when you worked with the Roman government to assess taxes, you were absolutely hated. Because typically, the Roman government was pretty shrewd. They would pick people from your people. So for the Jewish people, they would find Jewish people who would be tax collectors because they would know who the people are and what they're earning and all those kinds of things. And so two very disparate peoples. In the crowd, when Jesus was talking, people loved the Pharisees, and people hated tax gatherers, and that was a given. So Jesus paints a picture of these two people, and it was just right out of history. The tax gatherer prayed humbly, wouldn't look up, beat his chest, which is a sign of humility, and asked for mercy. The Pharisee stood up straight and tall, looked God in the eye, and that, that was the image, and this is what they did. They would look up to heaven as if they're looking to God and God himself was smiling down. And it was meant to be a demonstration of power and superiority. And he would pray, God, thank you for making me better than all these other people. Everybody had heard this. Jesus was not making this up. Everybody had heard this kind of thing all their lives. And then Jesus had some things to say. Jesus in verse 14 said that they didn't understand the truth. Look at verse 14 again, if you would. Still in chapter 18, verse 14. Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled, but he who humbles himself shall be exalted. Everybody understood that the Pharisee was the good guy and the tax gatherer was the bad guy. And Jesus essentially said, you guys are completely wrong. You don't have a clue what you're seeing. The Pharisee, the good guy, the one who was politically correct, the one who had all the right beliefs, the ones who did all the religious things, they were clueless, separated from God by their sin. And the tax gatherer, the traitor, the sinner, he was the one that said was justified. Jesus did this not just to teach but to challenge. Jesus was trying to teach them that they had misunderstood the meaning of faith. Their religious ideas were wrong. You see, they were humans. They chose those things that humans value. Humans value social status. Humans value power. Humans value keeping your act together and acting correctly in public and those kinds of things. So on screen are some traps of religious life. And traps are things that we sometimes do and step into. And we're not even aware of it sometimes. But when you are really religious, and this is a test for you. By the way, don't test other people by this. That's not your business. Your job is to test you, okay? So a trap is, one of the traps is pride in works and accomplishments. 
So in our story, the man prayed, God, I thank you that I am so good that I'm not like all those other people. I've got my act together, etc., etc. You would never say this kind of thing out loud, would you? When you feel like you're better than others, if that ever comes to mind, you're smart enough to know that sounds bad, so you would never say it out loud. But you have to be careful. When you are accomplished in the faith, and by that you mean you go to church all the time, and you give money, and you get to have leadership positions in the church, and and people admire you for your faith, there's nothing necessarily wrong with those things. But it's not too big a step to take that too seriously, to take yourself as if you're really something special. It is a trap, and we have to be careful. Again, we're not saying that these actions are bad, but what you do with them, all of these things are traps that are within. No one else can see it, usually. So one trap is when you start feeling pretty good about yourself because you're such a great Christian. A sense of entitlement from God. I've heard people pray, God, you know you promised me, and they finish the sentence, if I was faithful, you would bless me, etc., etc. That was taught where I went to school, and that kind of thing is the very trap that I'm talking about. If you think that God owes you something because you won't go to church a lot, or because you've given a good offering or something like that, you've stepped into that trap, haven't you? The man in the story thought God owed him. He was entitled to God's blessings because he was such a good guy. God doesn't owe you anything. God gives you grace. God gives you life. He gives you mercy based on his character, not on whether or not you earn it or not. You can't earn anything with God. It doesn't work that way. And he surely doesn't owe you anything. He's not beholden to you. If you respond to God positively, it's because he has given you the gift of faith. And this isn't to beat you down. It's just to help you understand the score. The score is we're sinners. Every one of us, regardless of the circumstance, we're still sinners. And we struggle. And we are not worthy of God's grace. He doesn't owe us anything. One other thing. Indifference towards sinners. This is the most galling part of the story. Look in that story, if you would, again. Look in verse 11. The Pharisee stood and was praying thus to himself, God, I thank thee that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, even like this tax gatherer. He was ragging on somebody while he was praying. Can you believe that? He was so full of himself so sure that he was better than others that he gossiped and ragged on someone while he was praying to God himself. Now, folks, I don't know about you, but normally when I'm praying, I'm very aware of my own problems, and I sure don't need to tell God about anyone else. First of all, God already knows about everybody else's sin. You don't have to inform him. You know, sometimes we, we feel like we need to tell God. God, he, he doesn't really mean that. You know that, right? God understands, guys. You don't need to inform him of anything. And second... Who in the heck do you think you are if you think you are better than someone else? Remember, we're all sinners, separated from God by our sin. The extreme part of this story is Jesus said the one that everybody rejected was the one who went away justified, meaning you guys don't have a clue. You can't see his heart. So here's the point. 
If you can't see someone's heart, and you can't, then you can't judge them, can you? Because you just don't know who they really are. People have an incredible ability to put on a facade, don't they? We've all done it. We're very good at it. If we're smart enough, we can hide our true selves, and we often do. We can bite our tongue. We can control our emotional outbursts and all those kinds of things. And people can think whatever we want them to. We can't fool God. So, there's that one lesson here. Be careful. In another passage, Paul was talking about people who had fallen, people who had allowed their faith to distort them. And he said this. Read this with me. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. The fact that today you're walking good with Jesus, good for you, it doesn't mean tomorrow you're going to get it right. If you're like me and everybody else, there are days you do really well, and then other days, nope. Whether or not anyone notices or not is irrelevant. You know, this is a call for honesty. One of the other things on screen is that God's presence comes most fully to those with a humble and repentant spirit. Verse 14 again. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled. But he who humbles himself shall be exalted. Jesus saying, pay attention. Be honest with yourself. One of the things that Christianity does is force us to be honest with ourselves. In other words, acknowledge your sin. Acknowledge when you failed. Acknowledge when you did wrong. Have you ever noticed that there are some people who just simply cannot acknowledge their wrongdoing? We've seen it in politicians and presidents and other preachers, sometimes family members, sometimes ourselves, if we want to admit it or not. Probably one of the worst characteristics that anyone can have is an inability to either see their problems or acknowledge them. I studied for a long time to become a therapist and counselor. I never was licensed or anything like that. Regardless of the model of counseling that is studied, they all come down to this. If someone will not acknowledge their problem, you can't help them. They have to acknowledge they have a problem, whether it be alcoholism or any kind of addiction or anything else. If people do not see their problem, they can't be helped. Jesus is saying, you have to see that your sin is the problem. We have no business judging another. So on screen are some things that God is looking for. A clear sense of your own sinfulness. This is where you have to be honest. Now, you may not look at pornography online. You may not kill people. You may not steal from the government or anything like that. Are you perfect? You have to answer that. You see, we're talking about things that you hide from other people, aren't we? These are things of the heart. This is what Jesus is talking about. These two people had obvious things that came out in public, but Jesus dealt with those things that no one else could see, things of the heart. We deal with what we can see because that's all we can do. God deals with things of the heart. So you have to ask yourself, am I honest? One of the other things, a gracious spirit towards others. Remember in our story, 
when the righteous man was talking, he said, God, I'm so glad I'm not like that guy. A haughty, angry, unloving spirit. This is really important to God. Jesus chafed at those that were spiritually mature and superior. And he chafed against those that were unkind. Look at the stories of Jesus. He just could not tolerate the kind of arrogance and insensitivity to others that was so common in the religious community. I'm not sure why, but Christians, like so many religious folk around the world, when we get accomplished in the faith, we seem to think it's acceptable for us to be cruel and unkind to those that aren't quite as good as we are. Nothing could be further from the truth. He wants us to have a gracious spirit towards others. And finally, humble repentance. You recognize your sin and you confess it. Repentance is an old word. I've done this before. This is when you repent. You walk this way and you turn. It's just a, a, a conscious decision to change direction. Repentance isn't emotional necessarily. It's where you see, I've got this in my life. I will no longer do that. I will change. I will get my mouth under control. I will get my attitude under control. I will make an effort to be more gracious to people, etc. This is what God wants. A gracious sense of humility that allows us to treat others well. On screen is one final thought. King David, after his sin with Bathsheba and he was caught, read this with me. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Restore to me the joy of thy salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. You remember his story, an adulterous relationship, a planned murder. No one knew, but the prophet knew and confronted him. And David fessed up. You know the rest of the story. This is what God wants. He doesn't necessarily want us to be perfect. He wants us to go after that, to strive for perfection and humility and all those things. But he knows we're going to fail. But what he wants is a heart that is open to his influence, a heart that is humble, and a heart that recognizes our own sinfulness. This is part of being Christian. It has almost nothing to do with the kind of clothes you wear or the music you listen to or whether you go to church Sunday morning or Saturday night, or so many of those things that we think are important, whether you wear jeans or a three-piece suit, God really doesn't care about those kinds of things. But He cares about your heart, who you are, and how you treat others. Jesus called us to be His people. He said, when you get together, assuming we would get together, He said, when you get together, think about this. And he told the story of how when you eat a meal together, that the bread will symbolize his flesh, and the blood will symbolize his, and the wine will symbolize his blood. So today we share communion. We share the meal that Jesus formed for us. We've made it a religious ritual. There's nothing wrong with that. I think Jesus really intended for us just to get together and eat. He was a good Baptist, I think, and he wanted us to eat together. And when you do... Think about what makes you Christian. You aren't a Christian because you go to church. You're Christian because you follow the crucified and resurrected Jesus. And he has cleansed you and made you whole.
I'm going to ask that the deacons get in their place as we prepare to share this meal. Remember the way we do this now is we all stand and have a word of prayer. And then as the music plays, you come down and get a cup and you go back and be seated. If there is someone who can't make it down by themselves, uh, someone can get your cup for you and bring it back to you and help you open it maybe. But I would encourage you to take part in this. It is both proclamation, we follow Jesus, but invitation, we want you to follow Jesus too. Would you stand with me, please? Paul tells this story. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And somewhere along the meal, he finished the story. In the same way, Jesus took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And then Paul explains, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We've got to remember that this isn't about religion at all. It's about Jesus, crucified and resurrected. And that's all it's about. The, res- the religious part, it's just what people do with their belief system. Not necessarily wrong with it, but don't let it become a substitute. We are Christian because we follow the resurrected Christ. Nate's going to come and lead us in a closing hymn of invitation, commitment. Let me challenge you to make those decisions that will allow Jesus full control of your life. If you'd like to make something public, you can if you'd come forward. Would you stand with me? Judy, come and lead us in a closing prayer, please. Father God, you are our hope and our shield, and we rejoice in your holy name. We ask in this coming week, you surround us with your loving kindness. Amen.